Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, wherever you're tuning in. We are Slava and Jonathan, bringing you the SideQuest Podcast, where we talk about character development, stories, and all things that are world-building. And we occasionally take side quests, because, frankly, that's how conversations work. Just as a reminder, this whole show is spoiler-heavy. So, sit back, tune in, and join us on this episode of SideQuest. Good afternoon, Slava. Afternoon, Jonathan. Good people. We are... All those in the interwebs. Yes, and all of you wonderful listeners. I did something different yesterday. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I made my first public transparent advertisement for our podcast on my social media. It's not a big post. It was just like, hey, I've been doing a podcast since January if you're interested in books. Something simple. And so I'm... You know, just one ad, going to see if that, I mean, I've got 5,000 folks on social, this one specific social media platform, and curious if it'll give us a spike of some kind, because we've been doing this since January, so. Right. Well, if it's correct that most successful ads like that get anywhere from 2 to 7% response, like a click-through rate. And out of that 2 to 7% of 5,000 actually listen to more than one episode, I'm good with that. Given Maybe. Our... And, and the thing is, this platform, I don't post on it very often. I don't even get on it very often because I'm just busy. So usually when you're, when you're absent from a platform, they're like, hey, by the way, your friend posted for the first time in a long time, whatever. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. I, I did tell, and shout out if she hears this, <laughs> this is... Full dork. Actually, no, I didn't tell my mom, even though today's Mother's Day. <laughs> and I did. I just saw her. I told my old guild leader from my MMORPG days. Okay. Am she? That's that's the the tag that she went by. Am and she is an avid reader. And I told her if she's got any recommendations, we'd be happy to have her on. Been friends with her since. Shoot. Man, it's got to be 2010, 2011? Wow. I've even gone out to see her in the state she lives in a few times and hung out with her and her husband, and it's it's super cool. I like meeting folks from the internet. I think it's a good time. She would always yell at us during our raids because she was our our best healer, and we would always stand in fire or poison or whatever whatever the things were that got us killed. And, you know, there's cooldowns on your skills. And so she's like, you rat bastards, get out of the fire. I'm not going to heal you. And, you know, it's a team efforts usually like 20 people trying to kill one boss and there's different mechanics you got to do and it was a game we played called rift back in the day it was it was a lot of fun but i told her i was like look if you make a book recommendation and we read it we have folks on she's in a different state than me too but that could actually work out pretty well because i'm sure she still has a mic and stuff hopefully uh (laughs) and then you'd hear about a lot of dorky stories that uh of the old days we were progression guild on shadow thorn something okay i don't know i can't remember the server name but we were a progression guild on our on our iteration we weren't the best one but we were like top clearly because you killed yourself all the time <laughs> <laughs> well when she comes on we'll 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 probably regale some of the stories of the people we played with and some of them were really great there was this one woman who was a mage on our uh in our in our group named honeys and she didn't speak great english but she was phenomenal at her class Nice. Just really kind person, but it was just funny. Like you, I put in man, it's embarrassing. I put in sixty or seventy hours a week on this game, easy. And you know what I have to show for it? Was not that? a whole lot. Okay. Yeah, not a whole lot. Anyway, I'll save that in case it it's it spins up in the future. But today we are discussing a fun book that I absolutely adore. Mostly the series. The first book's a little tough. Even Spencer, who read it uh, a couple weeks ago was kind of halfway through, which is where you're at, and he was like, eh, I mean, I like it, but I don't love it. And then at the end, he texts me right after he finished. He's like, okay, I have a lot of questions. And I was like, I know. Read book two. And I just saw him this morning, and he is like six chapters into book three, and he's like, I really like it, but I'm not sure where it's going at. And I was like, oh, man, I can't wait. Because book three, you meet some more characters that kind of join the squad. And it's just so exciting. There's so many great one-liners. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Let's um. So, here's we we talked about this before, 
and I, I'm, I'm going to skip how your week has been. Slav and I recorded the third episode of the Star War piece this week with our guest Matt, and that was a lot of fun. That was one thing that we both did that was very, very enjoyable. And yeah, we it was really nice to have Matt on. What did you before I dive into my super excited like next thing that I want you to do? How how was it having the guest on, Slava? What tell us? Give me a little like feedback on that. Sure, absolutely. I enjoyed Matt a lot, primarily because he brought some context to one of the portions of the book I didn't like at all. Okay, and I kind of stand by it. I think it could have been done better, particularly the ending. But him giving the reason why Kripishan would have done it that way he did it the made sense. And just like with Spence, it was nice to have a third uh, party because then it was just more people talking. It was good. I mean, I enjoy our banter and, uh, you know, I'm not saying we should have, a, you know, a panel. But <laughs> once in a while, like every couple of weeks when there's another guy yeah. on, it's, it's fun. Yeah, it breaks and- up the rhythm a little bit and that's good. And Matt's one of my best friends. He's got um, he's, he was in the military, and so he's got a lot of world travel experience, and has seen a few things here and there. And he's also got that you know nerdy dork edge. I actually didn't mention to him Unsold until that podcast, but he likes Dragon Ball Z too. And so he's like, "Wait a minute, what are you talking about?" Because the 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 trade we made, and he hasn't fulfilled his side of the bargain yet. So Matt, if you're listening, like get on it. Was we read a Star Wars book, and he reads The Way of Kings. Which is not a real equal trade in terms of book length. Right. <laughs> it took us 10 episodes. But I told him, I'm like, look, you're, I promise you, you will enjoy The Way of Kings in, in a similar fashion to how you enjoy Star Wars. Because the questions, the characters, the main character of The Way of Kings is a military guy. Like, certainly have a lot in common with that guy and the suck that he goes through, right? So he's currently actually just diving into Warbreaker. Because I, you know, I, that's my go-to intro to Sanderson for folks. But he hit the lull in the middle where you're not getting any of the fun action. You're just kind of sitting between the two princesses and the political intrigue. And he has kind of set it down because he's like, "Yeah, I lost steam on it." And I was like, "Push through. I promise it's worth it. You'll see Nightblood again. It's a whole thing. Yep. <laughs> Do it for Nightblood, if, if nothing else. The destructor of evil, destroyer of evil, destroy evil." Again, love it. Okay, so here's my question to you, Slava. We talked about this before. I want you, regardless of how you feel about the book at the moment, to sell the book to us in three to four sentences, five sentences, just like a short quip. Why should we read this book? We said we wanted to try and do this as a new thing. So, All right. Well, why should you read the book, dear audience? I don't know. <laughs> Quite honestly. <laughs> okay. It's a good start right now. No, I'm kidding. I'm looking for a new guest host. Um. <laughs> An interim interim guest, yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm just being a smartass. So this book, Will what, White's or Wits? Um, I think it's White. White? Okay. Unsold is volume one of 12. It'll uh, be 12 in June, and I think this, this podcast will actually be going out either just before just about the same time as releases the 12th book. Right, okay. So, if you like anime, and if you particularly enjoy Dragon Ball Z, of which I am an amateur, because I've seen a few, maybe maybe a few seasons, maybe half a season, I don't remember mm-hmm. because it was back in the day. Oh, back in the day. Toonami, probably? You'd be probably. Yeah. Long time network. ago. A very long time ago. So... I wouldn't be able to give you even a plot synopsis of Dragon Ball Z. But if I see memes or if I see it somehow on TV, uh, on Hulu, on anywhere, I'm like, oh, I know that show, yeah, because I watched it. So imagine Dragon Ball Z set in a different world, but it's kind of anime-esque. If you, you can get a feel or you, you know, or an aesthetic for anime, it's written in a very punchy, fast-paced style. And it follows a boy named Lyndon. And just like in, um, help me with the right pronunciation, shonen anime? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It follows a boy who achieves skills and certain, certain magical skills, and he progresses in his skills and gets better and better 
and the adventures along the way. I mean, the friends that he makes, the enemies that he fights, all that good stuff. So that's the selling point. If you like Dragon Ball Z, if you like fantasy, this might be the book for you. But book one, depending on... Depending on your makeup, might be a bit of a drag, but that's all right, okay. All right, tell what us. I told. Tell us how you feel about it. That's. I mean, here we go. What I told Jonathan is, I don't hate it. The writing is good. It's very good writing, so it keeps me interested. But some of the, I don't know what it is because I don't want to just say, oh, some of the characters suck. Therefore, I don't like it. No, some characters have to suck because it's part of the story. Mm-hmm. But it's just something about the first book, the first maybe seven chapters that was, it was a drag for me. It was a bear to get through. Mm-hmm. And then chapters eight, nine, ten, and now I'm somewhere around 15, I think. I'm like, all right, I can see this going somewhere. Especially where he gets dirt all over himself and hides in the dirt to trick a driver of a carriage to get him faster up a hill, which is part of a test that he needs to uh, pass to get into the school. So at that point, I was like, ah, this is the first kind of, and I don't want to say arc, but the first spark, let's call it, where I'm like, oh, okay, well, now this is interesting. Because everything before it, even even the celestial being coming out of the sky, which for most people would be like, holy crap, this is like a big thing happening. I'm like, all right, yeah, okay, great. And I don't know what it was about it because the writing itself is decent. It's it. Will White is a wit is a great writer. Nothing against that, but that that's all I'm going to say because uh, sure, it, it is what it is. Um, all right, it's so, decent. I don't hate it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm going to pause for a second. Give people a quick like summary. So Linden is the main character. Wei Shi Linden. This world and the culture of this world is like Slava said. It's shonen. It's anime styled so being of asian flavor all of the families and clans start with last name first so weishi is the family name of the clan that he's from and his first name is linden so linden is born unsold the one person in his family unable to use magical paths of the sacred arts he uses every trick and technique he can borrow or steal to improve his life but it seems he will never be able to join the ranks of the truly powerful. That is, until the heavens descend and show him the future. When Linden becomes the only one who sees the approaching doom, he must leave his homeland to save it, and to see how far he can go by walking his own path. So, this is actually a really good synopsis of what happens in the first book, which is great, and similar to what you said, Linden has to use, it's, it's in this line, he uses every trick and technique he can borrow or steal to improve his life. And then you were just giving an example. If you could start at the beginning real quick and just give us kind of the quick bullet points of like what he's gone through so far in the plot in the first, what did you say, 13 chapters you're in? 13 a, or so chapters, yeah. Yeah, it's a 20-chapter book, so he's about halfway through. So like what's happened so far with Linden and... Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, chapter 13, I just looked it up. Anyway, so we meet Linden at an early age in this ceremony where their soul is tested. They see, by they I mean the, the elders, see their their soul, their talent, what they're predisposed to in some sort of magical realm, and then they give them the equivalent of a job. This is what you're going to be. This is, this is your new path, and this is what you're going to study. And so Lyndon, uh, in this test, is shown to be unsold, or somebody with a broken soul or no soul, and therefore, he can never marry because you you don't want to procreate with somebody who's unsold. Yep, he can't do anything except maybe hang around the house, maybe help with chores, maybe take some menial job to help with the clan's day to day mundane tasks. And so he is distraught because he comes back year after year after year, and the same thing happens. And he tries to use a trick to make the water, because that's part of the test, to make the water move in this ma- in this bowl, and he's found out, and he continues to be an outcast. So this trick did not work. And in between that and where we, where we find him in Chapter 13, he is bullied by people, he is maligned by people, and all he wants to do is to get out of this rut that he's in. 
So he uses tricks in a competition to <laughs> get his way into a school. And he uses the clan's cultural, political, help me with the word, intricacies, I guess. Some of the sure. some of the intricacies of the political and cultural uh, the socioeconomic, uh Well, more socio-social uh, norms and cultures between respect and the honor culture. You're talking about that? Yeah, yeah. So he uses all those things to pit uh, some people against each other and... They're put into you know a corner because they can't say no because he used all the right terms and he uh, gave the right amount of respect and so he played his cards well and so he gets into the school after a vision after he sees a vision uh, from the celestial being being we're gonna I'm gonna call her and he gets into the school and on the way on the way to the school he's made to be the driver of a cart because he's unsold and nobody gives a crap about him. When they get to that destination, the teacher tells the students that this is where you we find out if you you have what it you have what it takes to get into the school, and at least one person will fail. And the test is to get up up a hill uh, before sundown, I think. Yep. And so he knows he's not going to do it because he doesn't have enough uh, magna. I think it's called. Madra. So one Matra. thing about that stairway is the stairway is infused with Madra or mana or energy. It's called Madra in the book, for, but for conversational purposes to get your mind around it, it's like, or magic, mana. The stairs are enchanted with a type of technique called a an enforcer. No, it's not an enforcer. It's, a, it's like a ruler technique where, and I'll go over the techniques here shortly, but where... It's the white, the path of the white fox, which is about trickery and dream aura, confusing you, making you hallucinate, basically, and believe that there are things there that are not necessarily there. And it weighs on your spirit and your soul, and that's like one of the key aspects of the vitality of the characters in this world, is that you can put pressure on someone else's soul and weigh them down, and you can look at it in the same way as like being deep in water but without being in water where like someone's presence and aura and their power level is putting pressure on you, which is interesting. So as you get higher in these stairs, the pressure becomes more and more difficult. Lyndon being an unsold and he doesn't have access to this power. And there's like a tiered system where it's first you're an iron, then you're a copper, then, or sorry, first you're a copper, then you're an iron then you're a jade, then you're a gold, which they haven't covered gold yet but because it, it doesn't really get covered in this first book. So, but yeah, he, he he's given this task and just like you said, he has to use trickery to try to beat the odds. Yep. So he pretends to be a delivery boy that's messed up in order because he was mugged and the, <laughs> the, the actual driver of the car who comes to pick it up as the master and the two other students are going up the stairs, he tricks him into giving him a ride. And so he gets he gets there first. And he wins the prize, which is to pick something out of the archives or some sort of... It could be a trinket, it could be a book, it could be magical potions. He gets to pick something out of the school's, uh, let's call them archives, for lack of a better term. Treasury. Magical item. Yeah, treasure. Treasure is a better term. Yeah, something out of the school's treasury. The vault, the art, the artifact vault, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where you're at. Is that's he, where he's I'm currently at. picking? He no. He is. Um, he is tricking the driver currently. Okay. Got it. So, how do you feel about Lyndon at this point, main character? Well, he sure says sorry a lot. <laughs> Apologies. Yeah, and irrespective of the world that White has built and the honor system and the respect system, mm-hmm. annoys the living, living <laughs> crap out of me. Gratitude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then him calling himself this one. I mean, I yeah. get it. I get it. I'm yeah. not gonna. I'm not gonna nitpick it just because it elicited a response in me. I think that's part of me. Yeah. It being a good writing because it did elicit a response in me. But he's a little bit annoying. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's very fair. And I will tell you, I uh, so I'm doing that thing that I always do, and I'm reading multiple books a week still. I'm on book nine of Cradle because I'm rereading it because book 12 is about to come out. 
And in his journey, there are moments where he gets to see himself. Well, he gets a moment of self-reflection on him doing that so much. And he finds it embarrassing. So just know that there's character growth there. Excellent. (laughs) I'm very happy for Lyndon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, fascinating. Okay, so what do you think? So Lyndon has a sister and two parents. And what do you think about um, his sister, first off? And then what do you think about his parents? His sisters are right, I guess. Because of the culture of these clans, because there's such a a hard hierarchy and a a caste system almost, they kind of are annoyed by Lyndon because he's unsold. He's almost troublesome, right? Because if he wasn't unsold, then their clan could move up the, the, the caste system or the hierarchy. To answer your more your question more directly, his sister seems like a typical older sister. I like his mom. His mom seems kind. His dad seems kind of a D-bag. Yeah, that's fair. His dad is a D-bag. Facts. And his family. So earlier in the book, you saw him, again, using trickery to try to find a spirit fruit, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So he, one of the things that happens in this world is there's a vital life aura that just exists in the regular state of the world. And so objects, both animals, trees, they can absorb that over years and years and basically create a rich environment to produce either intelligence in themselves or, in this case, this fruit was produced by a tree that was aging and aging and aging and It was in an unsafe area, and Lyndon found a way to capture that fruit through some struggles and whatever, and he brought it back to his family, and when you take it, it helps give you a power-up, a permanent increase in power. And so his family, and this is where his, his dad's a dingus, and his mom is not super great either, but his sister at least has some respect for him. Not a lot, but some, because she's on a path that seems unfettered and she's kind of ahead of her time a little bit age-wise and the fruit when they eat it will give them this power-up so the three people who didn't risk their lives to go get the fruit so Lyndon risked his life to get the fruit he got it through struggle but he, he, he did get it and then his parents are like all right how are we going to split this up between the three of us his sister and the parents totally ignoring him this is the type of character that you're dealing with where it's you know a very an Oliver Twist you know discarded uh he's not an orphan but you know, um, it's the same, the same attitude that you give towards an orphan because the, you've just discarded them. Society has discarded Lyndon, and he's like, "Apologies, but I shouldn't." The person who went and got the fruit and risked their lives at least get a bite. I understand why we're doing this for Weishi Kelsa, his sister, and for you. But you guys have kind of served your time, and shouldn't I at least get a bite? And then Kelsa's like, "Yeah." I mean, we re- he did risk his life for this and did bring it back, so we should give him something. His father's pissed, and his mom is reluctant, but he does end up getting a little bit of it. And one of the things that I really enjoy about Will White's writing in this series specifically is when you think that the character's going to get a leg up, he doesn't. And this is a regular thing that happens where you're like, oh, this is this is the time where he finally gets like a little bit of a a boost. And he's like, and nothing really happens. And that's a common occurrence in this journey where he he constantly lets the main character fail, try his best and fail, which is rare. Right? Like yeah. Bane, we just read the the Star Wars series, book 1. And Bane, he has some moments of failure, but you don't feel it as viscerally because it's not failure after failure after failure. It's just like, oh, it's failure, minor success failure, sort of failure, little better success. Like, there's a rhythm to it. And in this one, there's no... I didn't feel like there's a pattern in his success yeah. moments, which is uh, why I would classify this under progression fantasy, because each book, Lyndon gets stronger. But each book in itself is an adventure and... Uh, yes. Well, not adventure, but a struggle. It's a struggle to get to the next level or to get to the next location because it's not always a specific level. It's sometimes it's a location, sometimes it's a it's an item. It, it's part of the journey, as the radiants say, journey before destination. 
So he has to go through these struggles. And the thing is, Will lets you suffer with him. And I think that's one of the things I really love about this book is, is even though his character can be annoying, I remember when I was annoying as a, as a young, as a young buck. And yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember being like that. But when you're in that, you don't know that you're being annoying. Well, I did, but not always. <laughs> sometimes you do. Sometimes you sometimes don't. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you don't. But that, that's one of the, that, like, that's, that's, it's like, I, I resonate with this character, I think in a similar way that you resonate with Siri from Warbreaker, where it's like, you see things about yourself in the character. And this idea of being born below standard and mm. kind of being discarded is something that I resonate with. And seeing him achieve literally against all odds, but also still having to be polite and sort out his internal emotions about being polite and still trying to force himself to succeed is something that I think is absolutely incredible because I I, I believe it's every man's story. It's every person's story that if you want to achieve something, even if you were dealt reasonable cards, you will have to struggle and suffer to achieve that in some capacity for the most part, unless you're in that top 0.1%. But even then, everybody has struggles and obstacles they have to overcome. And sure, if we're talking specifically about the top 1%, they have a lot less because money money does buy happiness and security <laughs> and it does. does buy a it lot does. of things. And why it does buy happiness? Because if you don't have to worry about the next month's bills and you don't have to worry about the car breaking down or your kid's medical bills even if they have cancer, if you can cover the cancer bills and not feel a pinch to your pocket, you're a lot more happier than somebody who's drowning in debt because of said cancer bills. If we're going to use something drastic as an example. Yeah. But but everybody has their struggles. And I've met plenty of poor, poor people who are absolute garbage human beings. They even relish the idea of being poor because it makes them think they they're do. better than other people. They and do. I've met millionaires who are humble and polite, and gracious, and just the best people ever. Money doesn't make you a monster, and poverty doesn't give you any sort of a... You're a get-out-of-jail-free card. I get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not, a, it's not an honor to be poor. Po- poverty's not a privilege. Poverty's exactly. not a privilege. Yeah. No. I, I haven't met um, very many millionaires. The ones that I've met have been quirky. Not bad people. By any means, but definitely quirky. But I have met a lot of poor people who relish in the identity of being poor. And oh, God. it's it's a thing. Like there's there's a difference between like making it work for you and being frugal versus and trying to get out of it and, and give your kids a better life than you had, versus like, oh well this is just how we do it because you know, down with the one percent. It's like well, it, it, it really reveals a lot about who you feel. You are. It, re- it reveals how you view money. It reveals where you believe you can get to. And this this gets into a few things. So first off, you said you met some, you know, some wealthy people who were genuinely kind human beings, and you met some poor people who were absolute trash, right? Victor yep. Frankl, who I'm sure you're familiar with, but he wrote this book that is highly recommended by very intelligent and highly successful people. He wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. Frankl was a World War II Holocaust survivor. He's a Jew, and he survived four Holocaust camps and like six or eight different moments where he should have died because the group he was put into was sectioned to go off to the gas chambers. And each time he survived, by sheer happenstance is what he would say. It's a highly recommended book. I would encourage anyone who feels human to read it because it's very enlightening. But he he wraps it up and he says, I met guards who were good people. And I met guards who were absolute trash. I met joint, or I met um, uh, other prisoners. prisoners. Yeah, thank you. Prisoners who were good people. And I met prisoners who were absolute garbage. And it's what you do with what you've been given and the, the meaning that you put to your suffering that determines how you're going to be. And he doesn't say morally, but the implication is morally. It's not the circumstances you're in and it it really brings some validation to something that Carl Jung spoke to in the early 1900s is that we as humans have a very 
beautiful but strong and powerful gift that is completely discarded by us, and it's the power of the human will. And it's incredible on what we can use it for, but the thing is we're all inspired by awe. We're all inspired with awe by people who have suffered dramatically and made something absolutely incredible of themselves in the midst and against all odds, which is this underdog story that Lyndon goes on, right? And the thing is, it's a very real story. Like, everyone can be dealt a bad set of cards, and if you work hard, you really can make something new of yourself. Yeah, no, absolutely. It. I think what you, you just said is, is on point. You're, it's not your circumstances that define you, right? And that goes back to the, the poor people that I mentioned that I that I know, and myself, having stood in line as a kid for government cheese, I understand what it is to live on food stamps. Yeah. And I understand what it is to go to the go to the shelter and get shirts two sizes too big of the losing team's championship shirt that was made in case they won, but now they're like discarded, and to wear a shirt two sizes too big to school that says New York Mets, you know, world <laughs> champions, when yeah. that year they didn't win the world champions, right? Yeah. And being, you know, and obviously being made fun of, right? And I'm not like oh, crying about being made fun of. Yeah. But so I understand what it is to be poor and now having, definitely not part of the 1%, but now having more money than I think my family made in a lifetime, yeah. I make in a year, and not, not having to worry about, you know, next month's bills and being able to go buy a t-shirt of whatever team yep. I want or not want, right? I can buy anything I want. Today, after after church, my wife and I went to wine tasting, then went out and had some mussels at lunch, and now I came home, and I'm recording a podcast with you. So my life is okay, and I've seen both sides of the track, and I've seen just absolute garbage human beings, douche nozzles on both sides of the track. Yeah. And that I, goes for religion, too. I've met plenty of Christians who are just absolute trash. Eight years in seminary, you meet all kinds. I've met absolute trash Christians— and decent, honest, non-Christians, whatever. Like, you know, yeah. so... And of different religions. And of different religions. Yeah. No matter what the circumstances you're dealt with, they're not a badge of honor, right? No, no. It's no. what you do with them that you can achieve honor. You can do honorific things. You can do things that are worthy of being called honorable. You can do honorable things as a billionaire and as... A homeless person. Both can be honorable <laughs> and true. both could be just trash. Yeah. It's... And because I think our society is post-relativist now, it's not even like, well, truth is relative and we all have different ways of interpreting the same thing, but we kind of understand that there's this thing that's truth, but we're looking it through like a, a window darkly. Mm-hmm. Now it's like you have your truth, I have my truth, everybody has their own truth, which is absolutely a, a horse shit because it just falls apart. With any meaningful debate, it falls apart. But because of that nonsense, we now attribute honor and worth and morality to irrelevant things Mm -hmm. because we've lost any semblance of rational discourse of how we understand the world. Anyway, I I digress a little bit. So uh, earlier you made a comment about (laughs) the the Mets losing. My my dad and my older brother both love the Mets. Uh, So I think it's it's a, to me... In my life, I think it's a funny thing to say, uh, and I just picked it out of my head. I know, yeah. I, I know you both. <laughs> I know your brother and your dad both love the Mets, and I didn't pick it because no, of that. no, no. That's it the just only makes thing me, that came to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a New York thing, right? You've got the you got yeah. the Mets and the Yankees. It's a thing, yeah. but it's you know it's funny. It's not funny, but you it's relevant to me. You know, I didn't have the same level of poverty as you growing up, but when I left home, like I got kicked out of places that I was living because. I was trying to entrepreneur. I, I literally chose poverty because I was like high risk, high reward, and I failed. <laughs> Man, I failed so hard to the point where I couldn't pay rent. I couldn't afford food sometimes. I took a different path where I was too proud to go ask for help from anyone and then eventually had to be a burden on my family where they had to cover some of my bills because I couldn't pay. Like, it's it's embarrassing. It's not, it's not a yeah. proud time in my life, and part of it, is the fact that I paid to go to art school, which was a poor decision. The school itself, the the living in New York was great, but the school itself was not. I would have been better just moving to New York and doing anything else. 
because the debt has been following me for the last, what's it, 2023, 2007, to like 16 years. And it's not paid off yet. It, it's it's only only now because I've, I've put a lot of work into upping my skills and getting better jobs and, and, and being able to get back on my feet because I was so I was so burdened by shame of the debt and poverty that I lived in. I was like, this is embarrassing. I'm a I'm a joke to my family. And they wouldn't say that. They care about me. They love me, right? But and, sure. you know, friends too. You know, anytime I asked for help and I could get over my own ego, people were happy to assist. But it's not a fun place to be. And so and I, I think it I think that's part of the reason I resonate with Lyndon, right? Like I've always been kind, I've always been polite to folks, even when I was annoying. There have been some things that I've been that I've done in life that I'm not super proud of, but for the most part I resonate with this character where it's like yeah, I was the dregs of society from the genetic pool too. Like having a birth defect sucks. It puts you in a different class, even if it's only in your own mind. It wasn't because the, the you kind of touched on it, but like being made fun of growing up is not a good time. It causes depression and anxiety. It causes thoughts of suicide. And like, then you start toying around and planning it. Like it's not a good time. No, like, kids are vicious. Kids are vicious. Vicious little bastards. It's yeah. unbelievable. And so to see someone like Lyndon be so resilient to me, in the midst of where he should give up, right? Like, if you measure the circumstances against, he has no hope until he has this encounter. No hope. And he's still trying because yeah. he, he wants to be something. He wants to be more than he is. And it's that growth mindset that I absolutely love. And it's the thing that we watch on YouTube where you watch, like, an amputee with four, you know, four, amp, a quadruple. Quadruple amputee. Quadruple, thank you. yeah, yeah. And, like, they're happy, they're married, they have kids, they can drive a car still, but they have nubs for limbs. And they're happy as can be because they said, you know, this is what I've been dealt. It sucks, but I'm going to make it work. I'm not going to just sit as a, as a bump on a log, literally. <laughs> it's, and I didn't even mean that as a joke, but, like, they uh, chose to not be a victim yeah. in their own lives against right. all odds. Even though the first book here is a bit of a drag because, and I've told this to Spencer, too, because he was reading The Lies of Locke Lamora, and he's like, I can't. I can't do this. It's, this book is just not here for me yet. I was like, well, how far are you? It's like three chapters in. I was like, Spence, three chapters, bro. Like, it's a new world. These are new characters. you got to give it a little yeah. time. Like, totally Well, if fair. I can back up my, my, my new buddy Spencer here, is I was in chapter three when I said the same thing. I was like, when I texted him, I'm like, oh, this book. <laughs> you guys, it's not, it's not like good things come to those who wait. I, I'm yeah. not, when I lead you through a book, and, and I'm going on record here. When I lead you through a book where you read the whole thing and you go, eh, this is really just not good. I will eat my words. But until then, I think I have pretty good taste on character journeys and stories and worlds that are interesting and for the most part unique or at least unique enough to go, oh, that's an interesting take. Because this is not directly Dragon Ball Z. But you understand when they're talking about the techniques of ruler techniques and forger techniques and striker techniques. It's like... It's like Goku's yeah. Kamehameha and, and like powering up and, and lurching forward with his Madra and, and like doing these things. And like, oh, they're having this like Super Saiyan battle right now because you yep. have some context for it. And it's it gets it gets wild because power levels and I'm using this colloquially, power levels go over nine thousand, Slava. Not in this book. <laughs> but soon. Very nice. Okay. But soon. And it's a struggle. It's a struggle for him, and the and the author doesn't pull punches, right? Like Will doesn't stop you from feeling the pain of Lyndon's defeat time and time again. Yeah, I think, and this is on the spur of the moment thought that came to me. I think some of Lyndon's reactions to the stuff that he's going through, the over apologetic thing, might be just you know like a subconscious trigger because when I was growing up, and my wife and I both come from broken homes, her. Her more classical kind of broken home situation, sure. mine less broken but still just as abusive. Yeah. And abusive in a different way, you know, but the, the level of abuse. Was, yeah. yeah, pick your flavor. And my reactions, and I'm not trying to paint myself as a tough guy because I, I wasn't when I was a kid at all, but I was tough enough and crazy enough to, you know, just get into somebody's face and if somebody – even family members, just tell them to go f*** themselves. And that response pushed enough of the assholes away where I still made it 
And I'm not defending myself. I'm just saying my reaction to it was different. So when I'm sitting there listening to Lyndon going, oh, apologies, this one just wants to, like, hey, go f*** yourself. This one wants, you know, the peach <laughs> that you stole from me. Yeah. And if you don't give it to me, I'm going to bash your brains in with this rock. And that's what I want. That's what I want Lyndon to say. Okay. But I know that doesn't work for the story. Right. I know well, that it's not Lyndon. That's not, right. It's that's not, not Lyndon. Lyndon. And I probably shouldn't have done that half the times that I did it either. Not that I should have been all apologetic and groveling, but I think I might have had what alcoholics call a moment of clarity. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> maybe Lyndon, maybe he annoys me because I want him to be not necessarily like me, yeah. but I want him to have some balls. And he does sometimes. He pushes back against authority yeah. in a very respectful way, and he's smart enough to do that in a way that he gets what he wants. But I think I want him to react with a little bit more, dare I say, not, I don't want to say gusto. Gusto is not the right word for you, but that's neither here nor there. That's me nitpicking a part of the plot. Yes. But that's so, why we're here. It is. And we've gone over this a few times where characters that I really love, you're like, meh, it's okay. Like, I get, I get, I get why you love the character and you love a different character. Yeah. So, and, and based on knowing you, I kind of knew you wouldn't really like Lyndon and that's okay. Because totally. Lyndon is the contrast for, and I really hope we can find time to get three books in. Um, we've gone back and forth, mostly me, on the schedule of some, some, some of the books we have upcoming, and that's, and that's on me. But at the end of this book, you're going to meet a character named Yaren. She's coming up in a few chapters. And bleed and bury me, but you're going to love her because she's an orphan. Her whole family was slaughtered. She has the fight and gusto that you're talking about. in, And she has one-liners like you wouldn't believe. It's so fun. So you're going to love her. And she's, she's, she's with the pack for a long time in this series. She's what you're looking for. And it's, it's this really fun contrast between the two of them. Because Lyndon's constantly apologetic. And she's like, no. But in her, her very colloquial yeah. one-liners. So two things. Second thing first. This will be three for three now where a book you suggested, I resonated more, and I liked more a female character than I liked any of the male characters. And the second thing is to your to your uh, going back and forth, how do we get all three books in? We can always alternate. We can do Unsold, then another book, then the second part, which is, I forget what it's called, and then you know another book. So if we alternate, we don't bore our audience who are, might not want to sit for you know, 12 episodes of Will White. <laughs> um, it's worth it, though, I promise. Yeah. We could do, we can still do the 12 episodes of Will White, but we can alternate them with the books. So that way, it's, there's a little bit of a breakup. Yeah, and and that's be- probably what we'll do, most likely. Because I just really, I really resonate with this series. And, and I'm sure the audience, if you've been following all the episodes so far, with the books that I've been picking, at least, I like books where the main character has to suffer because I, frankly, have had a lot of suffering in life. And that has, I would actually call this therapy, honestly. Like, I've taken these fantasy worlds and I've stepped out of my own life and I went, well, you know, if this character can do it, so can I. It's, it might seem dumb to other people, but frankly, uh, or Victor Frankly, <laughs> uh, we have to identify moments where we're going to choose to define suffering however we need to, to overcome and surpass the barriers in front of us and this is simply the way that i've decided to do that i can resonate with that the books that i read from tom clancy to stephen king which are completely different genres to all the edgar Allan poe i read and all the silly sci-fi kind of weird you know out of this world books that i read and the horror stuff all of that for me as a kid was therapeutic that helped me escape because while I was a little bit bristly when faced with situations uh, or people, when I was in, by myself in my room and playing Metal Gear Solid or playing Final Fantasy or reading my crazy Stephen King book, for all that for me was an escape. I would immerse myself in these worlds and try to block out everything that was happening in the real world. So revisiting similar books now that I'm older reading books like Roadside Picnic, reading books by Lovecraft, which remind me of Poe, that all is now very nostalgic, and I get to kind of relive some of my childhood 
the good parts of my childhood, right? So it's not completely analogous to your experience, but I think it's similar enough where I can understand what you're getting at. I, mm-hmm. I can uh, completely yep. understand that and not, not just say that, oh, I get it, buddy, but no, totally understand yeah. where you're coming from. And it's it's part part of why this podcast is so fun. You We get to discuss those things, and these side quests are more than just like, well, Will White built a, built the a world, and look <laughs> how much it looks like whatever, and end of podcast. Yeah. We, we get to banter about more interesting things uh, on the side. So... Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. As a as a quick note uh, to the audience, the books we're looking at currently are another two books of the Cradle series, which would just be book two, Soulsmith, which I had an autocorrect when we uh, Slav and I were discussing it called Soupsmith. Um, <laughs> well, I called I called him Will Smith, so it's fair it's enough. Fun. Yeah, well, yeah, it works. And then Black Flame, which is book three. Uh, we're also looking at Out of the Silent Planet, which is C.S. Lewis's first sci-fi book, which his sci-fi series, not a lot of people know that he had a sci-fi series. I really loved, and I think we both said this, Paralandra, which is book two, as mm-hmm. like the best of the series. Out of the Silent Planet, which is book one, as the second best. And then I think we both didn't finish the third because it gets too overwhelmed in its own pseudo-philosophical roundabout stuff. And I think, honestly, we should probably push through and finish it at some point. But that's on the docket. The Liza Lock Lamora is still something. Um, and I sent Slava a text from Spencer who, when he finished it, he's like, oh, my God, that was great. In other words, but that was the gist of it. Because there's another two books. It's supposed to be a seven-book series, but the I think I mentioned this before. Scott Lynch had some mental health issues that he was sorting through, and he's supposed to be coming back on the on the field here soon we are definitely doing dune here shortly and that's kind of the hang-up that i've been dealing with to be transparent with all you guys because i want to put dune out in july because dune's going to be probably five or six episodes i want to have one of my best friends on uh, another one of my best friends christopher who i've done a lot of creative things with in the past christopher and i worked on a fantasy novel that we never finished for seven years straight we did three hours a uh, three hours a session, three sessions a week, so nine hours a week. It was basically a part time job for seven years, working on this world and building it. We wanted it to be the same caliber as Lord of the Rings, and it's fun. And he and I still banter about it sometimes, but we d- have different schedules and and have uh, hang ups in trying to work on it. But I hope to one day actually read that together, or maybe even some short stories and and see what Slava and maybe a couple other people think about the the world that we've put together. But that's uh, distant, you know, put it on the calendar, you know, May 14th, 2023. I have creative projects that I've never released to the world that I still deeply cherish and think have a lot to offer. It's a steampunk world set and mixed with a Japanese. I'm loving it already. Japanese uh, flavor. But Yeah, and then in between all that, we have some of my books, too, We have uh, that I suggested. We have yeah. The Exorcist. Yep. And looking forward to some horror. The Exorcist and something that I've never read. Let me let me bring it up so I'm not messing with so the Exorcist and the City and the City. That's what it is. So just two. Out of the Silent Planet, the Exorcist, and the City and the City. And the City and the City is I'm gonna butcher the last name, but by a man named China Mayville. And it's a horror. And it's supposed to be one of those books that are kind of messes with your perception of things because the way it's written, yeah, um, you never know what's going on. And it's either this book or another book that I have on the docket for later on in our little project here that scared the hell out of Stephen King. Oh, it, interesting. Yeah, you didn't tell me I that. Forget, yeah, I forget which one it is because I, I was looking for books that like are with a warped reality. So I put in the mm-hmm. Google, give me a list of books that are have that are horror but that have like a warped reality to it where they mess with your perception of the, the narrative. And the city in the city came up and another book that came up and I forgot what the heck it is. It doesn't matter now. But one of them in the little blurb, whoever this blogger was, had a link to an article where Stephen King was giving his thoughts on the new and coming horror authors and he said, this author, this book, scared the hell out of me. And I don't get scared easy. So both of those books, I just don't have my notes in front of me, we're going to do it sometime in the future too, which I'm excited about. That's great. I'm, uh, I'm actually really curious on this book that Stephen King was scared of. 
that caused him dread, it sounds like. Dread. Yeah, that's what he said. And um, I don't think it was just for, you know, just for the hell of it or you know, because he was plugging it so he wanted to give it a good plug. I think he was serious. That's awesome. I can't wait. And uh, we're always open to suggestion. The The schedule's constantly changing. So feel free to, to make some comments. Be sure to check our social medias, our Instagram, our TikTok. They, they could use some love from the people because yep. we do want to share our enjoyment of these books with other folks. And, you know, if you want to be a guest on the podcast, we'd be happy to have you. If you've got a book that you're like, man, I really love this book, let's chat. Let's, let's you know, we're open to taking guests right now because we're still small. And if you think you have a really good book for us, like, throw it at us. Really, like, we're open to it. So. Yeah, why not? And then here's the second book. Again, I took bad notes, so I can't tell you if it's the city and the and the city, or a head full of ghosts by Paul Tremblay. One of those two books, both of which we will be reading and discussing. One of those two books scared the hell out of Stephen King. Nice. Can't wait. Cannot wait. I think that's the episode. I'm excited to hear how you finish up Unsold and how you feel about the ending when you get to meet Yaren. I don't know how to say this. The 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 hijinks, there we go. The hijinks that Yaren and Lyndon get into before the end of the book. You'll get a little bit of that aggression on the back end. I promise you. Sounds good. I'm excited. That's good. Anyway, that is the episode, folks. We want to hear from you. We want to hear from you on Instagram, on TikTok, shoot us an email. I don't I don't actually have any of those handles memorized. <laughs> no, neither do I. Um, but I'll put them in the I'll put them in the show I think notes. They're in the links. Yeah, they're on Spotify. On Spotify, I have the links to the uh, IG and the TikTok, and on Apple Podcasts. But we have so little listeners on Apple Podcasts that we never plug it. But most of our folks are on Spotify. Mm-hmm. But either way, wherever you're listening to, thank you. And description notes. Go check them out. That's where you can find us. Yeah, and make your book recommendations. Anyway. Yes. Goodbye, good people. <laughs>